Hello, I'm Hans Lee from Livewire Markets, and you're tuning into Signal or Noise, the podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by Australia's top macro minds to explain how you can make money from a top-down perspective. If you're confused by the data or a little lost in the headlines, this show is for you. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to our show and the Livewire Markets and Market Index websites. And a reminder that everything you're about to hear is information only and not advice. So with that said, let's go. Hello, I'm Hansley and welcome to Signal or Noise. This week sees the start of the August earnings season here in Australia and there is no shortage of issues for investors to keep on top of. So what should you be watching out for over the next four weeks and beyond as these companies hand down results? Let's bring in our panel. Jason Kim is a Portfolio Manager and Senior Analyst at Tyndall Asset Management. Happy to have Randall Janicki as well, Portfolio Manager and the Head of Australian Equities at T. Rowe Price. And the eagle-eyed amongst you will notice that Deanna is not with us, but we are once again delighted to have her boss with us, Dr. Shane Oliver, Chief Economist, of course, and Head of Investment Strategy at AMP. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me start with a, an opening question, I can, if I can. I mean, there's, there's actually a lot of questions, and there's a lot of issues that investors will want answers to over the next month. It's already been touted that this August will be one of the most reporting, important reporting seasons of the last several years. But is there one burning question or one macro theme that you'd like more clarity on over the next four weeks from these results? Maybe, Shane, I'll start that with you. I'd say the consumer. I mean, that's the biggest unknown in Australia. The Reserve Bank regularly refers to the uncertainties about the household sector, given very high debt levels and obviously the, the massive rise in interest rates. So I think the key out of all of this will be how companies are perceiving how consumers are faring up, how they're holding up. Yeah, well, with inflation at 5.9%, there's, uh, there's some evidence of disinflation, but of course, all these rate hikes still take time. Mm. Jason, what do you think? Is there one burning macro thing you'll want an answer to? Oh, for sure. Um, I have to say China. Um, one of the biggest questions we have is, will China stimulate in a meaningful way or won't it? Uh, we're hearing lots of like snippets coming out, but over the next couple of weeks, maybe next couple of months, we should get some more substantive detail. Uh, obviously has huge ramifications for the Australian share market, given our exposure to um, resources, with China being a big uh, consumer of commodities. Yeah, okay, so we've got the consumer and China. Randall, what are you focused on heading into August? Look, I think reporting season is always about earnings, right? And I think what's going to be critical this time around is margins. We know that uh, interest rates have gone up, economies are slowing. Uh, and so, you know, the pinch point here really is this interplay of revenue slowing, but also there are cost pressures. So I think margins are going to be critical and how that feeds through to earnings. Shane, we'll, we'll come back to reporting season in a second, but what are some of the more important macro signals that you are watching for beyond reporting season, especially heading into the end of the year? We might be near the end of RBA rate hikes for, for one. Well, the big one, of course, is inflation. Uh, you referred to it there in Australia, the latest numbers down at um, 6%, 5.9% on an underlying basis, which is lower than uh, the Reserve Bank, in fact, was expecting. So that's good news. Uh, you really want to see that continue. If the US is any guide, they're at 3%. So hopefully it will. So that's, I think, a big one. That will obviously impact what central banks do. So we hopefully start to see signs soon that more central banks are, are topping out or at the top, if not very close to it. Um, obviously, business surveys around the world, uh, buzzword that is PMIs, Purchasing Managers Indexes. Uh, yeah, they came down quite sharply last year and then had a rebound. Now they're rolling over again, so you don't want to see them go down too far. Um, obviously, that will cause concern. Um, I'd also be keeping an eye on the bond earnings yield gap. And the big issue there is the rebound in bond yields that we've seen in the last six months or so. 
putting pressure on that gap such that shares are not as attractively valued as they once were. Um, so there are a few of the main ones. Just one other, if I may, US dollar. This one always excites me. Um, as an Australian, should, maybe I should say the Aussie dollar, but they are largely inverse. Uh, the reason I say the US dollar is that when the US dollar goes up, it's usually a sign of global concern, uncertainty, um, uh, monetary tightening. Uh, when the US dollar goes down, it's, it's a, a sign of better times globally in terms of the cycle takes pressure off those with US dollar denominated debt. Um, but it's usually a positive sign for commodities as well and global growth. Yeah, interesting. So four more things to, to watch out for, proving there's never shortage of a, of a list of things to watch out for in markets. So for our first proper topic, I thought we could touch on the themes that have really dominated this market until now and really their quality and defense, right? You think of companies like Telstra, West Farmers, CSL, they've all attracted uh, quite a lot of attention and a lot of buying over the last year. And all those three companies, incidentally, are constituents of the BetaShares Australian Quality ETF, which, as you can see in this chart, is up around something in the order of about 12% over the past year. So here's my question to the panel. Is the quality trade now showing classic signals of becoming an overcrowded trade? Or is it noise because we've still got lagged effects of rate hikes and above-target inflation to feed through the system? Jason, signal or noise? I have to say signal. Not all of them are really expensive, but as a group, they're quite stretched valuation-wise. We've seen interest rates rise a lot over the last year and a half or so. And on that basis, those lower beta names should, on a relative basis, look less attractive, yet they've held up quite well. And the reason for that, we believe, is because the market's looking for safety when they're concerned about the economic outlook. So given that, I'll, we would use this as an opportunity to reduce some of that exposure and buy, some into this, buy more into the cheaper names in the market. Okay, interesting. So signal for you, Jason. Randall, do you share that view or are you going to go noise on this one? I don't. I think it's noise. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think that the slowdown uh, is ahead of us. Uh, I think we'll see evidence of that in this August reporting season. Uh, and I think the real debate is, you know, A, uh, how deep is this downturn going to be? Uh, and B, how long does it go on for? But I think that we're really at the early stages. It's taken, I think, more time to get here than people expected. Uh, and there's some good reasons for that. Uh, but I think, you know, going forward into this earnings uncertain period where I think risks are to the downside, you want to be long quality. Shane, I'm not expecting you to, to, to talk on specific stocks, I know, given you're an economist, but, you know, does the macro environment provide you with any signal or noise either way? Yes, there are good reasons as to why it's been uh, pushed out. Um, the, the, the time gap between yield curve inversions and recession is often up to 18 months. Uh, and we're still not at that point yet. There's been that build-up in savings that occurred through the pandemic, uh, the relief when we had the reopening. Um, in Australia, for example, the, uh, the fixed-rate share of loans was much higher than normal, and that protected consumers to some degree. You've had very competitive mortgage markets, which has, to some degree, taken the edge off rate hikes, although many wouldn't agree with that, but that's the reality relative to what the RBA has actually done. So the risk of recession, you'd have to say, is high out there. Um, so that's why I'd, I'd kind of lean to the noise view um, and you know, do, do, do understand why those quality stocks have done quite well. Yeah, okay, interesting. Well, for topic two, we're going to extend that theme and talk about equity market valuations. And for this, I'm going to start by rattling off five stocks and see if you can guess what all these have in common. Promedicus, WiseTech, Pexa, Nanasonics, and Adore Beauty. Well, as of the day we are recording this, Every stock on that list has a trailing P.E. ratio of over 100, which makes them incredibly expensive, when, especially when you look at it against the, the broader market. 
So how have each of those stocks done over the last year? Well, this chart will tell you that story. Three of them are higher, two of them especially so, ProMedicus and WiseTech, and two of them are in the red, and mostly they're Adore Beauty. Of course, it's not just impacted by the tech trade, it's also impacted by the retail trade. So, given the macro environment we are all in, does a high PE ratio give you a signal of the kind of companies to stay away from this reporting season? Or is this noise because there is actually merit to the notion of paying up? Randall, signal or noise? I think noise. Uh, and I say that because uh, a high P multiple only tells you so much. Uh, I mean, I think you really have to look at the prospects of the business. Uh, and quite often you'll find companies that have uh, a lot of growth prospects, uh, or they might even have you know, past earnings issues, have a kind of short-term, superficially high PE multiple, but it doesn't give you uh, a, um, a real picture about the earnings power going, going forward. Those names that you mentioned, Hans, I, I would say they're all in the, typically in the high growth camp. Mm. Uh, and really it comes down to the ability for these businesses to be able to continue to grow at those high growth, uh, growth rates as to whether the valuations are attractive, whether the P's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or 100. So I think it really comes down to those fundamentals that will drive your assessment of what the company's worth. Okay, interesting. So noise from you, Randall. Shane, I mean, we've been watching this economic data, you know, remain relatively resilient. And, uh, you know, we've been waiting for central banks to signal the end of these rate hikes. But the valuations keep going higher. What do you think? Signal or noise? <laughs> noise, uh, mostly. Um, I am concerned about the divergence between price earnings multiples and uh, real bond yields. Um, they tend to track inversely to each other because the PE is basically an earnings yield, um, whereas you have seen that rise in PEs uh, recently. Yeah, there was an adjustment last year, but that's now reversed this year. I mean, part of it is uh, the desire for growth stocks in a, an environment of uncertainty, um, but you do run the risk that as uh, bond yields stay high, uh, that you get this revaluation effect at some point. And at the moment, I think the market doesn't seem to be particularly perturbed by that. So, but that's certainly a risk. Mm. At some point, though, the PEs will ultimately have to come back into line with real, real bond yields. And uh, the question is, do real bond yields go back down or do PEs come down? Um, and at this point, it's, it's uh, a bit hard to determine which way that goes. Well, one shoe is going to drop at least, or maybe both. <laughs> it could be a combination. <laughs> it could be a combination so. of the two. In this market, who knows? Uh, Jason, what do you think? Signal or noise? Oh, we believe signal. Um, while no, I agree with some of the sentiments that Randall just spoke about, you've got to scratch beneath the surface of a company and look at their unique attributes. And certainly some companies have huge potential and realisable growth in the near term. But the multiples they're trading at right now is just way too high. You, you're willing to pay more for it, but at these multiples, that is just too much. And from that perspective, we believe they're very expensive and really should be sold down. Well, Jason, staying with you there, why don't we take the inverse of that, if I can? Is there a stock with a, a low or a relatively low PE that you would be happy to buy today heading into reporting season? Yeah, for sure. Uh, QBE Insurance. Um, that's a company that trades at below 10 times earnings and the market's at 15 times earnings. You have a look at what it does. Um, right now, we're seeing significant premium rate increases, so they're going to get good top-line growth. In a period where it's going to be very tough for companies to grow their revenue, on top of that, you've had higher interest rates over the last year and a half. And this is a company that actually benefits from rising interest rates as it earns more investment income on the premiums that it sits on. Sure, there are some headwinds in the near term. You've got 
claims inflation, inflation more broadly is an issue, so claims is an issue for them in the near term. Uh, they've also got higher reinsurance costs purely because of all the catastrophes that we've had before. But on balance, they're very well positioned to get very good solid earnings growth in the next 12 to 24 months. So while this year might be a little bit noisy from an earnings perspective, you look ahead, it looks very cheap and one of the very few companies that will actually do well in this current environment. On that basis, now we believe QBE should trade at roughly 12 times earnings. And again, the market's at 15 times, so not heroic assumptions there. And we believe QBE could be a $20 plus stock in 12 months time. Yeah, interesting. I read a stat actually from the, the inflation report today. I think something along the line, something like insurance premiums are up the most year on year since 2000, which is pretty amazing. And that's right. And one of the other things to yeah. consider is that um, insurance is somewhat defensive. People mm. don't stop renewing their insurance policies. No, they don't. And especially in uncertain times. Randall, is there a, a low or relatively low PE stock that you'd be happy to buy heading into reporting season? Look, I think Harvey Norman's really an interesting company um, for a few reasons. I mean, one, if you think about what's going on, uh, it's one of the few businesses, and I'd say in that consumer discretionary retail space, um, it's caught up in that part of the market that's actually trying to price a recession right now. I would say there are very few parts of the market, but, but consumer discretionary retail is one, and Harvey Norman's been caught up in that. But I guess what's interesting about the company is that if you kind of think about the long, even the medium term, we know that we've got a housing supply issue. And so whilst right now the company has faced some earnings challenges, we've seen a recent downgrade, and FY24 is going to be a tough year. Uh, I think when you look beyond FY24 and think into the medium term, there's more reasons to be optimistic on the underlying demand as we you know, get back to a, a better housing market and the need to actually increase supply. And obviously Harvey Norman's leveraged into that. And then the last point is that if you, if you think about the valuation, so it's trading at $3.60 odd today, it owns roughly half its property. So if you adjust for the property ownership within the company, it's actually the, the, the retail business is trading on a P multiple of probably only around five to six times. Mm. So I think it's really interesting from that regard that you've got kind of this valuation base and support because of the property. Yes, the earnings are going to be tough this year, mm. but taking a longer term perspective, there should be a good recovery in its housing related parts of its business going forward. Yeah, interesting. All right. Thank you both. For topic three, I thought we'd go to a different kind of data point. And in case you needed any reminders as to why people are searching for income, then here's a stat for you. 14 stocks out of the ASX 50 currently pay dividend yields of above 6%. And if you don't believe me, here's the table. Now, a lot of them are miners and energy names. Obviously, Woodside Energy is the top of that list, given this commodity super cycle we have been in. But there's also a sprinkling of REITs, and there is one retailer in there We've already mentioned what it is. It's Harvey Norman. And for context, the index dividend yields hovering somewhere in the nature of about 4.8%. But are these dividend yields sustainable? Shane, signal or noise? Look, I don't think they are at the very high end there. So I will say noise. I think we are at risk of seeing uh, the miners in particular cut their dividends. We have seen uh, commodity prices come off. Um, from the high points that we were seeing a year ago, which was partly what was underpinning those very high dividends, and they will come down. The question is, at the lower end of that list, where the dividend yields uh, you know, of the order of 6% or so, whether they will come down that much. And I tend to think not really, unless you get a really deep recession. History tells us that companies will still want to try and maintain their dividends. They'll still be wanting to pay decent dividend yields. Companies are well known to want to smooth their dividends through time. And, it's, and dividends historically tend to be a lot smoother than earnings are. Well, yeah, actually, if you, if you look back at that list, it's, it's Westpac, Suncorp and 
the uh, the NAB, the National Australia Bank, who make up that lower end, they're at about six percent. Jason, do you share that view, signal or noise? Uh, well, I largely agree with Shane. Um, but having said that, I think when you look at the miners, uh, we do expect them to be quite disciplined with regards to their M and A. Um, also, with regards to the commodity prices, no, we do think they'll be stronger for longer, uh, to use that phrase. So in that regard, yes, they might come off a bit, but I think they're largely sustainable. Um, so I would say signal. Um, and then when you come to the banks, um, now they've got, they're flush with capital. Um, the earnings they currently have, they're probably largely mid-cycle, they're or they're about. So again, we believe largely sustainable there as well. And when you come to the energy names, uh, which side you mentioned? So in the case of energy, we believe there's long-term issues regards to supply as a huge capital strike on investment in oil and gas more broadly. Uh, on top of that, you know, while we are transitioning to a new world, it's not happening quickly enough. So we see a big supply crunch coming. And as a result, now we do believe for the, the big energy names, very sustainable. Okay, interesting. So it's actually sustainable, but actually in those areas that Shane ironically was talking about, oh, maybe we'll see some cuts. That's really interesting. Randall, what way are you going to go on the signal or noise? I think it's noise. Mm. Uh, you know, there's the old saying that more money's been lost chasing high dividends than down the barrel of a gun. Uh, and um, the way to think about that statement is that that yield isn't really there, it's illusory. Uh, and those names you mentioned at the top of that list, they're all very cyclical commodity companies. So if you look at the peak to trough in terms of their earnings cycle, it's huge, right? Earnings can double or half. Uh, and what typically happens is that the dividend tends to follow. So what you think is a high dividend actually isn't because it'll get cut. The other thing to bear in mind with whether it's Woodside or some of the big miners is that also they're very capex hungry companies. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got to fund a lot of their own uh, production growth. Uh, and so to do that, obviously, they need capital. Uh, and the best way to actually um, retain their own capital to grow is to fund that out of their earnings and that can impact their dividend as well. So I'd be very wary of very cyclical companies with very high dividend yields, hence why I think it's noise. That's been a conversation for a long time, especially in energy. Do you want to reinvest into the infrastructure or do you just want to pay it out and you know, let your shareholders be happy? I'll stay with you if I can. Uh, is, is there one company or, or one name, it could be one that T-Row Price owns or maybe one that's looking to own, is there one name that you are most interested in seeing the earnings of this season and why? Look, I'm really interested to see the earnings from Commonwealth Bank. Um, there's a few reasons for that. You know, one is that you know, going into a downturn, banks are typically a good bellwether in terms of what's happening more broadly throughout the economy. Uh, not just retail, but businesses, you know, they really provide services across the broad economy. Uh, and in particular, there are two things which I think we need to focus on. So one is their net interest margins. Uh, we know that obviously there's been fierce competition in the mortgage market, but also more recently in the deposit market as well, for the first time really uh, in uh, the history of Australian banking. So. It's going to be fascinating just to, just to see how CBA is navigating that. They obviously were very aggressive during COVID, writing a lot of business. That might actually come back to hurt them during the current period we're in. And then the second thing to watch is just happening with their credit quality, right? We know uh, that the economies are slowing, bad debts are likely to rise. Where are we in this whole process? Again, I think we're at the very start. And so I think we're going to see provisions start to go up. But to the extent that's flowing through, I think it's going to be really interesting when Commonwealth Bank reports just to see how that picture currently looks. Yeah, interesting. Jason, have you got a company that, again, you know, it can be one that Tinder loans or one that's looking to own? Is there, is there one name that you are most interested in seeing the earnings of? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a higher PE name, and it comes back to our discussion before. When you look at higher PE names, you've got to scratch beneath the surface and see if there's value. And ResMed is a company that we believe offers meaningful value. Um, so what we're looking for at the next quarterly result is to see that all the supply chain bottlenecks have cleared up, 
Um, so they're in a situation where their major competitor, Philips Respironics, have got a major recall. They haven't really been able to fully capitalise on that and gain full market share that it could. So we want to see that clear up and see the, the volume throughput is there for their CPAP machines. Um, on top of that, we want to see that the freight costs have come down, they've been subject to logistics issues. Um, and as a result, you know, when we look at the, uh, the share price of ResMed right now, it's assuming that they seed market share back to Philips when they come back. We believe that's very optimistic. And so if we can see all those issues clear up, that gives us high conviction that ResMed truly is significantly undervalued. Okay, interesting. Well, thank you, everybody. It is now time for our Charts to Watch segment. We, as usual, ask our panel members to bring along a chart that they think investors could benefit from seeing. Shane, I'll start with you. The confession season that has preceded this earnings season has been so interesting. And actually, the chart that uh, you've picked looks at earnings revisions. So can you tell us about this chart and why you think it's interesting for investors to take a look at? Well, this chart, I think, is always worth keeping an eye on. What it shows is basically analyst revisions um, of earnings expectations for companies, and it's a ratio of those being re revised up, the earnings are being revised up to revised down. It goes back to 1990, so you've got a long period of history there. Interestingly, uh, coming out of the lockdowns, there was substantial upwards revisions to expectations, particularly in the US, which I guess is consistent with the very strong outperformance of the US share market. Uh, tech stocks were very high on that list at that point in time. And then you saw a, a, a weaker patch as we went into last year. The rate hikes uh, took of recession, uh, pushed down revisions to, into negative territory for Australia and the US. Recently, though, it's, it started to go back up again, uh, which I find uh, perplexing, but it's not inconsistent with all this talk that maybe we'll avoid a recession, uh, that uh, maybe central banks can pull off the soft landing. So the question is going to be whether that can be sustained or not. But I guess the point about it is that the strength in share markets that we have seen in recent times is consistent with an upwards revision to earnings revisions. Um, and if those earnings revisions start to turn down uh, through the US reporting season, which we're partway through, or the just to start Australian reporting season, uh, then that obviously would be a, a, not a good sign for share markets. Yeah, interesting. All right. Thank you, sir. Jason, you brought along actually two charts around valuations. We were talking about high PE and low PE earlier. This is around the high PE, low PE conversation. So walk us through this one and what do you think it says to you as a professional investor? Yeah, so the, uh, the top chart you see there shows how the, um, the PEs have moved for the, the top end of the market or the top quintile PEs or the growthy names. The one below shows you how the PEs have moved over time for the cheap end of the market or the lower PE names. And what you'll notice is that from about 15 years ago, the PE divergence has just increased significantly and has continued to increase. We believe the key driver of that is declining interest rates as the back end of cash flows of the growthier names look more, relatively more attractive. And the market just took the view some time ago that we're heading towards a zero interest rate world or a negative interest rate world. And of, of course, COVID just exacerbated all of that. Now, interest rates have come back a lot. We would argue at more normalised levels, probably more long term. And yet that divergence is still there. It's only come in a fraction. So we expect that to come back a lot more. And we believe it will benefit value managers such as Tyndall over the next several years. Okay, there you go. Thank you very much. That's high PE and low PE. Randall, you brought us along a chart around excess savings. And I think maybe this goes to what you were saying about, you know, Commonwealth Bank and Harvey Norman as well, come to think of it. Tell us about what this chart shows and what it says to you as an investor. So this is an interesting chart in that uh, I'd say it's new and I think prior to COVID we never ever focused on a chart like this before. But I guess what's fascinating about the chart is that what you can see across major economies is just, you know, because of the impact of COVID 
how excess savings across the economy built up. And that was a combination of obviously people locked down, they couldn't spend in a way that they normally could. Uh, governments, uh, you know, gave people money. Um, and, and so you had this big build up in savings balances. Uh, and what you can start to see is that it's starting to now turn and the savings balances are being eaten into. What's interesting um, um, about this chart is that Australia peaked at a higher level of excess savings than most other countries around the world. And it's a point that Philip Lowe made um, probably um, three or four months ago. And that's one of the reasons why the Australian economy, we believe, has been as resilient as what it has been. Um, what's interesting, though, is that if you look at the chart now, you can see that in the US, that's now to negative. So that they've chewed through the excess savings. Uh, and that's why I think you probably want to be more concerned about the potential for a consumer downturn there. In Australia, we've just started that process. There's more to do. Uh, and that's why, you know, um, we've been through this period where, in a relative sense, the Australian economy has held up better. But I think questions are now going to be asked over the next kind of three to six months about the capacity to be able to, you know, spend and be as resilient as what this economy has been. Uh, but I think it's going to be a fascinating chart just to work out when we reach that inflection point where Australia also turns negative, and that's when, obviously, the risk of very nasty downturn becomes most pronounced. This has been a fascinating conversation. I hope you are now all prepped for reporting season as we are. A big thank you to our terrific panel, to Randall Janicki of T. Rowe Price. Thank you, sir. To Jason Kim of Tyndall. Thank you. And to Dr. Shane Oliver of AMP. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and to both websites, Livewire Markets and Market Index, where you will also find full coverage of the upcoming results. Next time, this show will be coming to you from Melbourne, where we've got Andrew Kenobi of Franklin Templeton, Charlie Jamison of Jamison Coupons, and Tim Tui of Yarra Capital Management sitting down for the annual fixed income show. And we hope to see you then. Thanks for being with us today. <laughs>